Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Whether I was, you know, treating a child, a man or a woman, the conversation, you know, the, the appointment almost always led to talking about shoes. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Manolo Blahnik, Jimmy Choo, Christian Louboutin, Marion Park. It takes a lot of guts, a big investment, and a clear vision to launch a designer shoe company with no experience in the field. But that's exactly what Marion Park has done in just a few short years. She has something those other brands don't, a medical degree. That's right, Marion Park is a foot and ankle surgeon, and it was in the early days of her podiatry practice in the Twin Cities that she realized her knowledge of the foot and biomechanics, combined with her love of fashion, made her the perfect person to create a luxury shoe brand that offers style and comfort. Anyone who's left a party barefoot because their feet were throbbing from hours in stilettos knows what a tall order that is. Bloomingdale's quickly placed an order, and other high-end retailers followed. Of course, the pandemic has not been the best time to be in the designer shoe business, and Marion will talk about her pivot. But first, we go back to the roots of her inspiration growing up in Oklahoma. So it's funny because I always really admired the 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 moms and the dads who were doctors. I, I I played a lot of sports growing up, and I thought it was really really cool when a mom or a dad can run out onto the field. They, uh-huh. could, they could run out whenever someone was hurt, um, and they could sort of save the day. And, yeah, you know, you know, rush in, and um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and as simple as that was, I thought, okay, that's I think I, that's what I want to be. I want to go in there and save hmm. the day. Were your parents in not, the healthcare no. industry? Not at all. My um, on my father's side, we come from a long line of lawyers. We actually have this really fantastic uh, photo of two men, cowboys. Uh-huh. Um, standing outside of a tent and it's right after the Oklahoma land run Mm -hmm. and it says Garrett and Garrett lawyers (laughs) on the side of the tent. Yeah. So my dad was from a very small town. His father was an attorney who became um, a judge. He, uh, my grandfather eventually was on the Supreme Court of the state of Oklahoma Mm -hmm. on the, um, on the appellate branch. And, um, and my dad was an attorney. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, no um, healthcare professionals in in my family, but my husband's family, they, um, it's actually a long line of, uh, line of ophthalmologists. Ah, Okay. So, um, so actually, his mother, who I admire, my mother-in-law, she is a pediatric neurologist. Wow! So she was another one of those moms who I looked at um, as we were growing up because we grew up together, my husband and I. Oh! And um, I thought, wow, she, you know, it's just blown away by you know the moms and, and the dads and sure. So, 
And not as common then, right, to see a, a, a mom who is a practicing physician and yeah. doing it all? Right, yeah. So did you decide right away <laughs> that you wanted to go into podiatry? How did you choose feet? <laughs> <laughs> so um, actually, I, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare, and I was shadowing a lot of different you know, friends of my parents, family friends, and I, I've shadowed a, a podiatrist, and I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that you know podiatrists were starting to become um, the the experts in the foot and ankle, and actually today, um, you know, big orthopedic groups are hiring now um, podiatrists who are trained the way I was trained, um, which is uh, surgery of the foot and ankle. Mm. Um, so I saw that that sort of transition was happening. I thought, well, that's interesting. I could be a surgeon, but then you're also doing a lot of really interesting clinical work. Um, you're working with you know children. You're working with um, men, women, all ages. Um, you see dermatology Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and podiatry. You see neurology. You see orthopedics. So there's a really broad range of things that you see in the foot and ankle. And um, so, yeah, then I went to podiatry school up in Chicago, Mm -hmm. um, did four years of of school, and then a uh, three-year foot and ankle surgical residency. And were you wearing heels throughout your residency? <laughs> no, it was funny. Did so you I... always look like this? Did so... you always look like a fashion designer? When when you're in a surgical residency, you're mostly wearing scrubs um, and clogs during the day. But there were days where if I didn't have surgery, which was rare, I was so excited to dress up. And I, I was I was in residency in South Florida. And I remember one day I wore boots, these like riding boots. Uh-huh. And Everybody said something. They were like, <laughs> I couldn't walk down the hallway of the hospital without someone saying, nice boots. Yeah. It's like, has no one seen boots around here <laughs> in South Florida? I know, but come no, on. No Crocs for you, huh? Uh, not a Croc no. fan. No. Um, <laughs> personally, um, I've seen some other collaborations, and I think they've, yeah, mm-hmm. they've done a lot of cool things, but not for me. So was personally. it a job that led you to Minneapolis? How did you end up here? It, it was my husband's job Okay, that led us here. But funny enough, Allie, I used to um, spend my summers here. I used to come to summer camp. Oh. Um, I'd go to a camp up in uh, near Brainerd. Which camp? Camp Lake Hubert. Oh, sure. A lot of Minnesotans know <laughs> Camp Lake Hubert. That's amazing. And from Oklahoma to Camp Lake Hubert. Yeah, you know, I mean, shout out to Camp Lake Hubert, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little plug for Camp Lake Hubert. They do a really good job of trying to get a um, more eclectic, um, you know, camper mm-hmm. uh, population, if that's the right word. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, they, they would come and kind of recruit, uh, if you will, from, you know, Oklahoma and Texas. And uh-huh. So there was a sort of a little group of us from Oklahoma City who would come up to Minnesota in the summers. That was, I mean, coming from Oklahoma, there was not a direct flight. We'd have to fly down to Dallas <laughs> and then fly up to Minneapolis and then take the the bus ride up to Brainerd. But so when my husband got the job offer here, was considering it, I had never experienced a Minnesota winter. (laughs) (laughs) But you knew the summers were really nice. I knew the summers (laughs) were lovely. So I said, I loved summer camp. So sure, why not? So you joined a practice here in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. So moved here um, right a month after our first baby was born. Yeah. And um and during that time I actually um I started the company. I registered for the um the LLC. During that year when I was practicing in San Francisco, um whether I was, you know, s- s- treating a child, a, a a man or a woman, the the conversation, the the you know, the the appointment almost always led to talking about shoes. Hmm. Because everyone is there for a foot problem. Right. Right. 
And so we're talking about, you know, how you got there or what your foot type is and, you know, what to avoid, what to look for when shopping for shoes. Uh-huh. And and I love that. I still I still love that. Uh-huh. Uh, so your love of shoes really came even before your love of medicine. Is that fair to say? <laughs> well, I mean, because I'm, you know, I wore shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you liked you. You always appreciated fashion. Oh, yeah. No, always, always loved fashion. Always really, you know, again, sort of admired like the older siblings of my, you know, friends. And, yeah. You know, the super fashionable moms and, and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, my mother... Uh, excuse me, my grandmother, uh, she actually would sew clothes for my sister and I. She used to make us, you know, matching, uh, you know, holiday dresses and that kind of thing. So, you know, there was always sort of an excitement around getting sure. dressed up and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I had my fair, like all women have had my fair share of uncomfortable shoes and just scratching your head saying, why can't these be made differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, or also there's like, you know, why did I put these shoes on? Right. Oh, my gosh. Why did I wear these shoes? Of course. Um, and and we just sort of accept that our feet are going to hurt. And why should it be that way? Yeah. And it's and that's evolved in a lot of ways, obviously, um, you know, pre pre covid and now post covid, too. But I mean, I, the, the whole idea behind starting the business was that, you know, historically, a, a beautiful shoe, an Italian made designer shoe was painful mm-hmm. and there there. They, they were uncomfortable. But if you wanted a beautiful shoe, that's what you had to right. accept. Price right? you pay. Yeah. So and then if you wanted a quote unquote sensible shoe, uh-huh. it was going to look that way. Right. Just that word. Right. Yeah. It wasn't going to come from a brand that had much, I don't know, that you'd really admired or yeah. thought was cool. And you wouldn't look down while you're at the event and be really excited about your shoes. And I thought, well, you know, my mother, my mother was an artist. Um, so I'd grown up in art classes and just always had that sort of created creative part of my life. And I thought, you know, I might have this unique skill set to bring, you know, what I know about anatomy and biomechanics in, in an artful way, deliver that in a tasteful and artful way, um, and then create a brand that women like and want to talk about you know um because i think in the past the brands big and small who've tried to bring these two worlds together um and even now um they're not not my particular taste um the the quality level isn't where where we are Mm -hmm. um and um i think they fall short on the fashion yeah side of things it's kind of amazing when you think about it that other shoe brands haven't thought let's bring on a medical expert let's well, talk to a podiatrist some of them have ally but i think that maybe they their things got watered down mm-hmm. and that's something i always worry about too i'm like we don't you know want to water down you know what the real mission and point of the the company is, and it, it's easy to lose your way, right? Because you get excited about you hear about what this new trend is, right? Sure. There are all these trend um, companies that come forward every season, so you're like, okay, I, how do we interpret? What's the what's the Marion Park interpretation of that trend? Right, right. And you can get really excited, and you can get off course, yeah. and then you know you look at the shoe, and you're like, gosh, well, the arch doesn't really look like it's as contoured as it should be, or gosh, that's really hard to put on yeah. or, you know, things like that, because we really we pride ourselves in, you know, again, being that, you know, um, lovely and uh, beautiful shoe, but also ha- that has that smart design to it. Right. And that thoughtfulness. Right. So there you are pretty early in your medical career you're practicing. You do surgery. You see patients. Everyone's asking you what shoes to wear. You don't have any great, lovely brands to recommend. You start thinking, maybe I should start a shoe company. What were the first things you did? 
you know, again, I started thinking like, you know, I do have this unique skill set of, um, you know, I, I loving fashion, growing up in an artistic household and environment, um, and then having the the anatomy and, and the biomechanics perspective. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, maybe I should. And yeah. so I said to my husband, I have this incredibly supportive husband. And he's went, a doctor as well. He is. Right? Yep. Okay. He's um, he's a retina surgeon. OK. And um, I came to him and I said, I have this idea and I just I can't stop thinking about it. And of course, the first thing he said to me, which I think it's I think it was good. It sounds harsh. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a harsh guy. But he said, well, if it's such a great idea, how come nobody's done it before? Mm. And I said, well, people have there have been brands who've tried it before. There have been large brands. There have been small brands and still even today. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think any of them are have done it or are doing it on this quality level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we we produce in Italy. We're in the same factories that produce for every inter internationally recognized brand you can think of. Mm -hmm. um, we source from all the same tanneries. So the, the materials we use, the craftsmen who are making my shoes, I mean, it's second to none. They're best in the world. No one's ever really brought that level of craftsmanship and quality yeah. to this concept. Did you convince him? Was this your answer at the time? Well, I did a, a lot of reading. Yeah, <laughs> that was yes, it, yes, that was my answer at the time, and I did a ton of reading. Um, I ended up reaching out to the Italian Trade Commission in New York, uh -huh. who, if you're not familiar with them, basically um, anybody who wants to do some kind of business in Italy, whether you want to import. Um, ceramics mm -hmm. or pasta, let's say, they will connect you with a supplier or a factory. So hmm. you, you know, contact them. I contacted them and I said, I uh, want to start a shoe brand. This was actually your first move. Before you sat down and started designing or prototyping, you were, you knew you had to go to Italy. Well, I, I knew that the brands that I admired most produced out of Italy. Now, there are some really great brands too that are producing in Brazil and Spain. But I, you know, I said, you know, I really want to set us apart. This is what's going to be our, you know, differentiator in addition, obviously, yeah. to, you know, bringing the two together, which that wasn't the novel concept. The novel concept was to do it in a really elevated and tasteful way, right? right. In a way that didn't scream that you're wearing a shoe that's designed by a doctor. <laughs> but were you, right. And were you at all worried as you were starting to piece this together that you could actually make a comfortable, oh, oh, yeah. fancy yeah. Heel. Yeah. So, right. So I went and I bought a really inexpensive pair of stilettos. Uh -huh. Like I went, I think I went to like DSW uh -huh. and I bought just like a $30 pair of shoes. Right. And I literally took scissors to it and I cut it open and um, I went to um, the orthotist. So the, the gentleman who was making all the orthotics mm. in, in my office at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was practicing um, part-time in um, Edina and Shanhassen, part-time in Woodbury. Mm -hmm. But all these part-time job, <laughs> jobs were <laughs> like, like a lot of jobs. patched together yeah. <laughs> as into a full-time job um, when, I, when I started um, operating and seeing patients in the Twin Cities. Um, so I went to um, Dave is his name and I went to him and I said, look, I'm thinking about starting this shoe brand. And I mean, I gave him the gist of what the concept would be. And I said, I need to make a like, yeah, a prototype to take over to Italy to explain to them how I want the insole of the shoe to be different. So I took this, you know, like dismembered shoe that I bought at DSW and we'd ripped out the insole and um, and I talked him through 
what the principles of the insole would be. And he and his team helped me to make the first iteration, mm-hmm. first prototype to take over to Italy and explain what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm excited. Actually, Ali, um, we found out just what's today? Wednesday, right? Tuesday. Is that We're right? only on Tuesday. Today's only yeah. Tuesday? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, we found out this week uh-huh. um, we're getting our second patent. Congratulations. Thank you. It's really wow. exciting. Yeah. Um, is that about design? Is that? It's for the insole of okay. my shoe. So we already had um, uh, our first patent, which was um, a more specific, it was, and the way patents work, don't I? Mm-hmm. I'm probably one of the worst people to ask, but um, it's not a design patent. It's a utility patent, which is a lot more difficult to get. Okay. So um, the first, it's easier to get a more specific patent, mm-hmm. uh, but now we are getting the second one that's more general and broad. Wow. So super exciting. How long, how long did you spend figuring out that that prototype, figuring out the construction of what a Marion Park shoe would be like? And I would imagine that it's a lot harder to build in comfort when you're doing pretty delicate heels and sandals like you do. Well, and that that was part of the problem. That is that's part of the problem that we're trying to solve is that women's shoes, especially sandals, mm-hmm. um, and even dress shoes like you're wearing today, mm-hmm. there is a fixed volume in that shoe. So if you want to add a pad or something um, inside of the shoe, the shoe gets really tight yeah. and really uncomfortable. So the idea always was to make the modifications of permanent change to the shoe. It wasn't removable, wasn't going to shift around, wasn't going to poke out the side, mm-hmm. not going to be neon orange, not going to be brown with perforated holes. You know, it's going to be very tastefully and discreetly incorporated into every design in the shoe. But um, but how we did it, I mean, ultimately it was taking that first prototype that we made, you know, here in Minneapolis. I went to Italy, I flew to Italy, and I met with um, two... Um, Two gentlemen at the time um, who would uh, we sort of interviewed to be the head of our production team, mm-hmm. and two attorneys to help us with you know making sure we were going to go explain this concept to all of these factories. They had every resource at their fingertips to do it themselves if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So we wanted everyone to sign an NDA um, before we'd go and speak with them. Smart. So everything was written in Italian. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the gentleman who I met on that trip, um, who became the head of my uh, production team, just until recently, actually, he's just um, now retiring this year. But he helped me to understand how to manufacture it, how to industrialize huh. the idea. How did he react when you told him what you wanted to do and that comfort was going to be a key to this? What was the reaction? Well, he was extremely supportive and excited about the idea. Um, he had worked with a lot of um, big brands in the past. Um, uh, do you remember the brand Donald Pliner? Sure, of yeah, course. Big, big in the 90s. Yeah. Um, he was head of, of production um, and design for Donald Pliner for most of the 90s, a really long time, and was head of their Italian office. So speaks excellent English, which was re- extremely helpful for me because I don't speak any Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he loved it. And um, and what was really fun, too, was when we I went around with him and another agent to all of the, the different factories. And um, I'm going to bore everyone to death with the process of footwear production. But um, the way that women's dress shoes work, and particularly in Italy, is that every component is made at a different factory. Hmm. So the heel factory is different from the insole factory, which is different from the factory that assembles all the parts. And um, the stitching room is, is a completely separate place, too. So it was it was really fun to go to the insole factory because we were, you know, we, even, we invest so much in the insole. 
the insole factory said, finally, someone who cares about the insole. Yeah. Because the insole has been made the same way for decades. Um, and it's literally just compressed cardboard. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a little strip of material for cushioning, um, you know, wrapped in leather, and that's it. So we said, you know, no, ours is going to be layered. It's going to be contoured. And, um, you know, we're putting a, a lot of thought into every angle of of the insole. Mm-hmm. So so they were especially excited. You know, the joke when I was in schools, um, a lot of people called biomechanics biomagic. <laughs> because it was like, well, maybe it happens that way. Let's uh-huh. see what happens. Um, but there are some general principles that are very reproducible. And one of the very reproducible uh, things is that more support is better than less. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, for the average you know foot type, so um, so that was sort of that is one of the um, sort of myths that we are working to dispel because in the footwear industry, the idea of like memory foam, extra cushioning, um, that's not the answer. Really, you know, if if it was the answer, it sort of takes you back to my husband's question. You know, if it was so easy, why doesn't everybody do it? Uh-huh. Uh, because you have to think about what what the shoe wearer is doing, what kind of activity are they doing when they're wearing that shoe? Mm. So obviously the needs of a dress shoe Mm -hmm. are completely different from the needs of a, let's say, skateboarding shoe. Sure. And I give that example because a skateboarding shoe is an example of a shoe that that shoe does need a lot of cushioning and padding, right? So skateboarders are falling from heights. Mm-hmm. Um, they're moving at high speeds um, while falling from heights. Mm-hmm. So they need shock absorption. Yep. Women um, in general wearing dress shoes, you're standing, walking, maybe you're at a brisk walk, mm-hmm. occasional occasional um, running to a meeting, chasing a child yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> away from a sharp corner. Yeah. Um, so you have to think about you know what those needs are, and so in general for those activities you need more support. So more support means actually it's counterintuitive I know, but more stability and stiffness. Mm-hmm. So the example I like to give is um, when you look at surgical residents, um, surgeons, uh, hairstylists, chefs, the shoes they wear are wooden clogs mm-hmm. and it's because you're on your feet and that support and when we talk about support it's the, the arch height supporting the arch because if you wear a very flexible shoe usually it's because it has a lot of cushioning or it just is very flexible and soft that arch is allowed to flex or huh. you know raise and lower repeatedly and that is generally what leads to soreness and fatigue over time Makes sense. Makes sense. Are you asleep? Did you, Is everyone asleep? No, I'm Wake fascinated. Up. <laughs> so here's what I want to know. How long did it take you to, you, you've got this idea, maybe you're the person to make this designer shoe. You spend time ripping apart cheap shoes. You figure it out. You find your person in Italy. How long did all of that take? You get your you get your legal documents in order. Mm-hmm. What what was the length of that process? So uh, I filed the LLC registered. I registered for the LLC in May. Mm-hmm. I was on my first trip to Italy in October or November. That's pretty quick. So, yeah, we registered for that very first patent um, that that fall. I wanted to have the patent registered again before I spoke to any of the factories and producers over in Italy. And uh, then we, when I say we, my sister joined me on those first two trips to Italy, which was mm-hmm. really fun. Uh, we went back in the early spring. It was probably, you know, March or April uh, to see the first prototypes and see, 
you know, the first color cards from the tanneries, see what the trends were for that season. And then we met with buyers and editors for the first time in June of 2015. That's really fast. What what fascinates <laughs> me, I mean, it's actually, it makes sense that obviously you would understand the mechanics of it. That's what you, tra- you went to medical school. You 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 studied that. You you knew how to do this and you took the time to to make it right. But how, but what about designing the look of the shoe? How did you know how to do that? And did you get any help from, you know, industry insiders or was that all you too? Yeah, no, no, no. So um, to be, yeah, to be very clear, my the head of my production team, you know, I, I don't know any, I didn't know any, I know a lot more than I did then, but I didn't know anything about pattern making mm-hmm. or, you know, troubleshooting and the technical aspects of, you know, footwear production. I didn't know about, you know, how many different players there were, you know, there being a, a last factory, a, a heel factory, an insole factory. I didn't know. So um, my, the, the head of my production team and our head technician really taught me everything that I needed to know. I mean, I, I, we would exchange, and this is how our relationship worked, you know, and, until, just now until he's retiring and we're um, hiring a, a new team, but we would exchange, you know, sketches and ideas. So I do sketch and I'd say, you know, this is what's missing from my closet. Huh. This is what, this is the concept. This is the shoe that I want to see this concept at yeah. first. So we started, um, we started with Mary Jane's. I'm, okay. I'm wearing a pair. Today. Yeah. Um, but the idea, the concept of that very first collection was, okay, women are going to hear this concept in this story and they're going to want to like totally start their footwear collection over. So how did retailers and consumers respond to Marion Park shoes? That's after the break. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. After all the research and planning, Marion Park shoes were ready to launch. Let's hear how it went, and in just a bit, how it changed when we all started meeting barefoot over Zoom. So it, so 2016, that must have been when I first met you in your office, which was yeah. the size of a closet. I, I distinctly remember, I think it was Veronica Clark who owns a North Loop store called Danolo. Yes. She said to me, Allie, there is a shoe designer in town who you have to meet. And I was like, okay. And I figured, you know, it was going to be something crafty. Yeah. You know what? I don't know. I was just like, okay, fine. But so we emailed and I yeah. went and I remember walking up like, this can't be right. And you were like upstairs in some teeny tiny little space. And there you were with all of your boxes of shoes. And it was like, what <laughs> is happening? Who is this woman? And I just remember trying them on and going, oh, my God. Like, I am in heels. And these are comfortable. So, Allie, the reason that office felt like a closet is because it was a closet. (laughs) The the landlords of that building, it was somebody's storage. It just happened to have a window. It had a very small window. But it was somebody's storage closet. And I said to them, I said, look, I just, I've been doing this out of my you know, house. At the time, actually, we lived in an apartment. We lived at the Calhoun Beach Club, Uh you know, that place. Yeah. 
And it was a two-bedroom apartment. It was my husband and I plus a baby. And I had been doing everything <laughs> in the corner of our bedroom. And I just thought, I need a space. So I went hunting. And it, and literally, they said, well, we could probably convert this storage space <laughs> into a very small office. And I said, I'll take it. But what's fascinating to me, and I know what really impressed me from the beginning, besides just your story and the fact that you were a podiatrist and you had figured this out and it was this big aha and it was kind of like, why hadn't anyone done this? But then comes the whole enormous journey and challenge of getting this product into stores. That is not an easy thing. And a lot of people fail right there. How did you do it? It still is not easy. Uh, I would say, uh, well, what's what's nice, it's good and bad, I guess, in fashion is that they're always excited about something new and shiny. Mm -hmm. and so when we came forward in June, and when I say we, it was my sister, again, who went with me. Um, to market. My sister-in-law kindly came and helped. Um, it was just me. I didn't have a single employee. <laughs> I packed everything up from that tiny closet office over mm -hmm. Spoon and Stable and, you know, shipped it to New York. And um, we had, you know, again, I, I had cold called and cold emailed stores, you know, boutiques across the U.S. Um, is where I started. And then, um, you know, a lot of them were interested and took my call and said, sure, I'll, I'll come and see. And um, some of them would say, oh, we don't, sweetie, we don't sell shoes like that. <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't really get it. And I understand, you know, they didn't understand that we were, you know, doing this on a very, you know, high level. Of did, did you accidentally say sensible? Or I don't know. Like maybe did I say the wrong thing? It's very yeah. possible. It's so very who possible. was the first one to, to bite? Who, who, where did you get your first order? Well, so I'm from Oklahoma, and there was a really beautiful store, which I, I um, my husband and I moved here after Dayton's was um, already closed. Yeah. So I've only heard what Dayton's was like. So um, it sounds like the store where I grew up in Oklahoma was very similar to that. So they carried you know, really lovely brands. Um, it's called Balliots. Uh, and uh, Balliots, yeah, they, we, they placed an order. Same thing for a, a similar uh, store in Little Rock, Arkansas called Barbara Jean. Okay. Um, they placed an order. And then the, the very first department store to carry us was Bloomingdale's, um, which was surprising because we had, um, and we still are talking to a lot of the department stores. Um, and because Bloomingdale's doesn't have a reputation really for um, scouting new brands, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but Bloomingdale's, um, they're... Um, fashion director reached out said I've you know seen your press and I want to come and take a look and I think at the time they were they were kind of ready to take some risks mm -hmm. so Bloomingdale's was our first department store partner speaking of press I think that's something that you very wisely did early on you had you hired a publicist right you had a story to tell and you you obviously knew that that was going to be a big part of it right for sure. And um, it was interesting because the first few consultants that we hired, I thought, oh, I, when you saw the price tag, <laughs> when you when you don't have a, a lot of money when you're starting um, a business, you think, oh, my gosh, that is a lot of money. Yeah. And um, I was very fortunate that all the consultants that we hired early on very quickly you know, proved their value beyond beyond anything that we paid them. Mm -hmm. So particularly the uh, the publicists, um, because, I mean, press and telling our story, I mean, that's that's the big point of difference is our story. And um, 
And so, you started getting press right away. We did, yeah. Um, even before we shipped the first pair of shoes, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, you were one of the first, uh, Allie. Yeah, I was there, yes. So, you know, it's really funny. You're, you'll you'll uh, appreciate this. So the same month that your story ran, mm-hmm. um, there was a shoe, this shoe that I have on today, our Bernadette Black Heel Sandal was in W mm-hmm. magazine. I remember. October issue of W. Yeah. yeah. And people started saying, you know, I, we were out and about and... And I'd uh, start talking about my shoes, and someone would say, oh, I heard about your shoe. I saw your shoes somewhere. Where did I see your shoes? And I said, oh, Did you see them in W? Yeah. And they said, No, I saw Allie Kaplan still <laughs> <laughs> in well, Minneapolis St. Paul. There magazine. we go. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> was, Take that W. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was that's so, a, that's it was, lovely. To this day, honestly, it was one of my favorite initial stories. I so. love that. Well, um, You mentioned money. How did you get the money? How did you pay to manufacture your first batch, your first collection? First batch. Fresh (laughs) fresh batch. Um, It's funny. My brother, who has his MBA, is a really smart guy. He says the same thing, too. He's like, how many batches? uh, How many batches are you making this year? (laughs) How did you know? I mean, how did you even know how many shoes to make in your initial orders? Well, Well, to rewind in terms of how we paid for it. So my husband and I and our family bootstrap the business until about three years ago mm-hmm. um, and when we took on our first investors outside of our family. So that's how um, we got to that, you know, that first mm-hmm. sort of milestone. Um, but there are factory minimums to uh, answer your second okay. question. How so, many how many shoes do you buy? So they so, told you how many you were going right, to buy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And did were you was that a daunting number? Did did you oh, yeah. were you able to place them all in stores? Well, what's even more daunting is, you know, stores come in and they say, we'll take, you know, 200 pairs of shoes. Oh, by the way, we'll pay you in 30 days. Uh-huh. And, you know, it takes time to get the shoes over from Italy. So and you have to pay the factories, too. So there is um, in, in fashion, there is this long cycle. Yeah. Um, between when you first place that order. So let's you know, say, for example, um, Balliots in Oklahoma City, they place an order in June. We put a deposit down at the factory a month later. They get those shoes in like November and then they pay us for them, you know, 30 days after that. So mm-hmm. the cycle goes from like July to yeah. December, especially when you're producing in Italy and you're, you know, you're working with these you know, amazing craftsmen. It's not fast, fast fashion. Everything is handmade. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's a longer cycle. Yeah. And were you figuring all that out? Were you doing the math and the, <laughs> On the orders fly? and the calculations? I mean, that was all you. Uh, yeah, to start. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I hired my first employee. Uh, gosh, it'll be, I think she, she joined in 2017. And before that, I mean, Allie, I didn't know what a packing slip was. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was so much learning. <laughs> yeah. Did who did you? I mean, was there anyone you could go to for for help with all that on the on the business side? I mean, did you realize what you were getting into here? I, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, this this whole idea of like you focus on the how and you figure out the why later. That's. I mean, I still sort of operate, (laughs) you know, along those lines to this day. Uh, No, I just I knew we would get it figured out. Um, I and, and, you know, who was helping me? My brother who has his MBA. You know, he showed me how to register for my LLC, for example. Uh um, You know, I think I, I 
I always took the meeting. I always, you know, reached out and, you know, if someone reached out to me, I'd always go meet with them. And um, I think our lawyers at the time helped me a lot because I was trying to make sure that we were protecting the intellectual property of the business. Um, accountants, you know, were um, were helpful all the time, obviously. Um, and the rest of it was, you know, kind of, you know, just figuring out, you know, yeah. think on your feet. How many employees do you have now? Well, pre-COVID, we had seven, um, and uh, at the moment, we have four. Okay. Um, I want to talk about this year, but before we do that, um, was there a moment, or what was the moment when you knew this is going to work? Was it was it Bloomingdale's? Was it something after that? When did you know this was going to be successful? So my husband laughs. This is the true answer. Honestly, this is when I felt truly validated. So um, do you know the... Um, actress, singer, songwriter, writer, Carrie Brownstein. She's on Portlandia. Yeah. She's yeah. widely called like the coolest mm-hmm. person out there. Sure. She's super chill. She's, yep. you know, in a band and she, you know, she wrote Portlandia and, mm-hmm. um, along with Fred Armisen. And uh, anyway, she wrote a memoir that um, came out in 2015 and just small, you know, small world happenstance. Her um, stylist uh, at the time was in a band with our photographer in New York. And when we were shooting the very first photo shoot, I had said to our photographer, we were talking about, you know, who, you know, if you could, you know, pick anyone to wear your shoes, who would it be? And I said, I just mean, Carrie Brownstein, right? She's like the ultimate cool girl. Um, I think what, you know, some some things about this brand make people hesitant. Again, like those retailers who say, oh, we don't carry shoes like that. Mm-hmm. Like we need someone who's like super cool to validate like this is this is a cool brand. Right. So I like Carrie Brownstein. She's amazing. And then he said, well, just my bass player actually is her stylist. I was like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. <laughs> so she came to that first that June presentation that we had and told her all about the shoes and Anyway, so um, we made a pair of shoes for her, uh, and we sent them to her. We weren't sh- sure when she would wear them, if she would wear them ever. Yeah. And actually, we were at a, um, a hockey game with some friends, and I got a text from her stylist and said, she said, Carrie's wearing your shoes tonight on The Late Show. <gasps> and it was like, no way. Yeah. And I almost said to my husband, I was like, I don't even want to go to the hockey game. Oh, right. We're going Forget home. Forget hockey. Yeah, we're yeah. going to go, you know, turn on the TV. <laughs> and... Um, and so she, there she was, we got home, you know, sitting there, you know, in the chair next to Stephen Colbert. And she got this great shot of her foot. And it looks oh. gorgeous and you know, so beautiful. And again, she was on this book tour. So like the next day, she's, I see her on Instagram and she's, we sent her two pairs, two different colors. One was like a cranberry suede. Which style? Which was it? The one? Mitchell. Actually, okay. do you, you might have them. Which, which um, the pointed toe is this style, but it's a stiletto with several straps. These buckles, yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, so we sent them in these two colors. She wore the sort of red cranberry red pair on late night. The next day, she's wearing the black mm-hmm. on her book tour, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god! So I text her stylist again, saying, oh my god, she's wearing the other pair. This is so yeah. exciting. The next day, she wore them again. <gasps> And then the next day she wore them again. Because they were so comfortable. And that was it, Allie. So yeah. I know. So I said to her stylist, I was like, oh my gosh, she wore them again. She goes, yeah. I can't get them off of her. She says they're so comfortable. Huh. And I was like, this is it. Ah, uh, this is this yeah, is the moment. That's I, when you knew. Yeah. And so I said, I said to my husband, I said, I feel so validated. I was like, yeah. that really, you know, what what 
we say is true. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can just quit now. And he's like, all right, slow down. <laughs> you got to pay for all these yeah, shoes. You need to sell a few of those, all right? Right, right. So we were growing over 50% year over year, and then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. How many stores were you in in like early to 2020? You know, it's it was probably close to 40 or, or 50 doors. Okay. Um, at, including like Shopbop, you yeah. know, on, online retailer. Um, How much of your business was um, in-store versus online? So I'm glad you asked that question because COVID was, has been a major disruptor in what that um, – what that distribution is and should be. And mm-hmm. that's a big conversation in fashion right now. So what everyone's sort of been working towards is this idea of having your direct business be the majority of your business. Um, the ratio that we tend to see a lot is 70% direct. So whether it's your brick and mortar store or online direct business, and then only 30% uh, is wholesale. Hmm. Pre-COVID, we had that ratio flipped. Yeah. So you're literally catching us um, mid mid substance to use a surgical term yeah. um, in in that um, in that process of really f- reversing that ratio um, because you know with COVID all these stores closed and um, you know we we didn't have control over uh, you know where all these shoes I mean there was a huge inventory backlog I'm sure you've talked mm-hmm. to a lot of people about that um in fashion when when COVID hit because all these retailers just had to cancel and slash and cut sure, sure. orders and um and so we we realized you know we need to take more ownership um be able to control our business more but and also be able to control the narrative better mm-hmm. because you don't really know if the you know salesperson at a particular store you know, if, if they know the full story. Right. Um, it's so interesting because it's kind of the exact opposite of what you thought at the beginning, which yeah. is that you need to be in the best stores that ha- that are reputable because they're going to help sell it and you're going to look good being on the shelf next to a Jimmy Choo or Manolo Blahnik and people have to try it on, right? But now are you kind of saying, nope, we're, we're going to do it, go at our own, on our own? No, no. I, we still very much believe in wholesale. I still, um, and all of our, our team, our investors, um, and I think, um, you know, if you talk to some, um, you know, sophisticated uh, investors and um, and really uh, retail um, uh, executives, I think most of them will say that wholesale, wholesale still has a, a place. No doubt. Mm-hmm. It, it does, to your point, um, and you know, we believe this too, it does validate a new brand because we're all a little skeptical of a new brand, sure. right? You think, okay, you know, mm-hmm. is this a fly-by-night brand? What's their quality like? So we do believe in, in that, um, that you do have some, you know, some valid, there's some validation and reinforcement in the consumer's mind when your shoe is sitting yeah. at Bloomingdale's or Shop Op or your favorite independent boutique in your hometown. Mm-hmm. So we do still very much believe in wholesale. Um, I think the just the difference is we're just at a moment in time where um, digital is is becoming, you know, the king mm-hmm. and more and more people are comfortable shopping that way or want to shop that way. And and again, we can control um, the the narrative and the and the business right. know, um, ultimately better that way. So, are you, does that mean beefing up your own website, or, or what does that mean? <laughs> Just so going many... through more digital channels? <laughs> yeah, where where to start? It, yeah. it does mean um, enhancing your website in a lot of ways, making it um, creating a lot of content, making sure that it's stable, it's user friendly. Uh, you need a lot of imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then you need to you know do a lot of marketing. Obviously, you, you invest huge 
hugely mm-hmm. in uh, marketing. And um, and I'll say too, um, again, you know, with our model of having this sort of hybrid model of both a direct business and wholesale, while it might not grow as quickly as going, let's say, direct con- to consumer completely entirely online, it's a much more stable business mm-hmm. model. Um, I am very fortunate to call Julie Allenson, um, the founder of iBobs, mm-hmm. one of my mentors. I adore mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And um, she once said to me, because we were talking about, you know, how hard it is um, with, you know, it, it's, it is a lot of work to keep up with with wholesale. And, um, you know, I said, Julie, like, what was it like at iBobs? You know, it's really hard. And she said, you know, there's it's an ecosystem. And wholesale is a point of discovery. And your website is also a point of discovery, but you need multiple points of discovery. Sure. You need that, you know, that, again, that validation of wholesale. But um, but what what's the more stable environment and world? It's that ecosystem yeah. and not to rely entirely on one pillar. Yeah. So that's always resonated with me. And that's, um, you know, thankfully the way we, you know, our, our team and again, our investors believe in that too. In addition to the whole supply chain being disrupted and the way we shop and the amount we're shopping online, there's also this issue, I really, I hate to even say it to you, shoe designer that you are, but like, I've hosted a lot of webinars in my bare feet from home, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh-huh. like there's like, are, have people even been buying shoes and, and I, I mean, your, you know, designer dressy shoes? Sure. You know, what we did is we we pivoted. I mean, it. I think what, you know, historically a shoe brand, the way it has grown in the past was that it started in one category and really dug, you know, pun intended, dug your heels in <laughs> to um, into that category, really, so, right? So you could be identified as that brand, you yeah. know, cons- consistent. And then over time, then you start launching a sneaker or you start, you know, adding these new categories, a rain boot. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID sort of like fast-tracked that for us, right? So we probably wouldn't, you know, under normal circumstances, five years into the business, be creating, you know, these really comfortable molded footbeds and, you know, totally skipped an entire season of high heels and stilettos. Mm. But that's what we did. We pivoted the brand to offer more casual shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those have done really, really well. So, but interestingly, our top seller was still our 85 millimeter high heel, just our classic pump. Yeah. Um, even huh. through 2020. So what is that wishful thinking on the part of women or you know I wish I wish I knew I I think I think it goes back to the brand story and ethos of this idea of okay well if I'm going to you know buy a pump I'm going to buy a comfortable one yeah so um it was a real head scratcher huh. for us too. So you were at home locked down in the twin cities designing sandals? I mean, is is that? I mean, did did you did you realize right away, like, oh wow, we better start doing something different? Well, I I said to the head of uh, you know our production team at the time, I said, you know, um, I don't want to look back on this year and um, look like we were tone deaf, you know, designing stilettos mm. and high heels. You know, people are losing their jobs, yeah, um, and they're staying home. No one's, you know, virtually no one is is going to a party, yeah, and. Um, it, you know, on a more philosophical level, I said, you know, when my daughter looks back at this, I don't want her to think that we were not thinking about what women were really doing because women have really been through a lot this year, yes. moms especially. Yes. And uh, well, you yourself, home with three little ones. Yeah, and 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 I I feel like I was one of the fortunate yeah. ones too because yeah. I kept my job and we were able to, you know, figure out our childcare situation and um, but 
But we had to think about what women's activities were like. Mm -hmm. And again, you weren't going to parties. You weren't going into the office or weren't going as much. What were you doing? You were at home mm -hmm. and you were going to a garden party if you were lucky. Mm -hmm. You were going to an outdoor wedding. Walking. If, yeah. Doing a lot of walking yeah. around the neighborhood. You were outdoors. So yeah. we said, okay, we let's forego stilettos for the season. Uh -huh. Let's make wedges. Let's make more flats than we've ever made. Let's make more block heels than we've ever made. And and show that we we are listening and we're here to we're, we're here to support women pre-COVID. I mean, that was our message, right? We're here to make a shoe so that a woman isn't distracted. Yeah. She's still her full self when she's at some of the more important, you know, moments in her life, whether it's at the office making a presentation or she's at a wedding or her daughter's wedding. She doesn't want to be distracted by her shoes. Yep. Right. So, you know, if we're here to support women, let's let's talk about what women are doing right now. So that was how the collection ended up being much more casual um, mm -hmm. for this spring summer 2021 now are, I assume you're already well beyond that. Are you into what twenty twenty three? Where, where no, are you? No, so the fashion cycle again because we produce in Italy. It's about a year in advance. So mm -hmm. we we just started working on spring summer twenty twenty two. And how do you team. how do you anticipate after everything we've been through and all the unknowns? Mm -hmm. How how do you now forecast for a year ahead? So it's funny because I, I started out all of our Zoom market appointments by saying, you know, in fashion, you're um, you're expected to see the future, right? And yeah. try and anticipate what women are going to want a year before they're going to want it. Stakes have never been higher. Right. You know, what are women going to be doing in 2022? Are we still going to be, you know, eating outside more? Are we still going to be thinking about comfort, you know, in the way that we are now? Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe, you know, our, our team, we, we all believe that our, again, our, our relationship with clothing has changed. And Women have gotten comfortable, if you like, want to use that word, or they they want something more functional or more wearable. And I think that women aren't going to want to go back to the traditional high heel as they've come to know it before. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so we are we're thinking about that as you're you know reentering your your social life, um, you know your grand reentrance. What is that going to be like? And so we are thinking more about how women are going to be really excited to go back to, um, you know, events and parties. And what does that look like for us? And then um, women are going to be going back to work. So let's, you know, replace, get a, get a great new pump that is going to work for you all day long. Yeah. Um, well, you're well, you're well positioned as a brand for that messaging. Right. Yeah. All the, I mean, the, the best of positioning, I'd yeah. say it's, it's, you know, it's authentic. It's part of our, it's truly part of our DNA. Right. Um, now your, your shoes are not cheap. It's a, it's yeah. an investment. Are, is yes. it, is it, explain that just a, a little bit. I mean, does it have to cost that much because of all the technology in it or is it literally just the materials and the factories? What? It's, yeah, it's all of it. Um, and because we, we develop, um, we, we produce on relatively small in relatively small volumes so um yeah so we're not at that critical mass point where you can when, when you hit a certain number obviously you know it's true in you know most if not all um businesses you know consumer goods if you can hit that critical mass to cut your costs mm. so we're still working towards that so yeah i wish they didn't have to be so expensive um what I do like to say is that the price per wear, I'm sure, is so much lower than mm -hmm. any other shoe in your closet. You're going to grab those shoes. You're going to grab the shoes that you know you can wear all day long far more often than you're going to grab that pair 
that you're going to wear once or twice. It's true. Yeah. And you're going to pay for it for weeks with the blisters afterwards, right. right? And I'll do a plug. If you sign up for our newsletter, we do have great sales. Okay. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So I've everyone goes, some of those sales. Um, and, you know, follow us on Instagram, too, because you can, you know, get all the, we always have great sales. I think that, too, though, is, is kind of where our thinking is headed about fashion and fewer, better things. Yeah, it, that was part of, yeah, that was a big part of the fashion conversation, as you know. Um, it was this idea of, okay, I think this is going to be a total mind shift yeah. of investment, investing in quality, um, trying not to you know drive too much of the fast fashion waste mm-hmm. um, if we can. Um, so yeah, I, that's I, I I do I do feel that women are again thinking about comfort. How are they going to bring comfort into the rest of their lives? Um, but also, you know, this is a female founded business. Um, we are here to truly support women and do all of this idea of of a shoe being able to do it all because a woman can do it all right mm, i like that yeah so it's um you know that's what we really stand for yeah. and so i think that you know this yeah there's a shift in in that thinking and this idea of okay if i'm going to buy a new pair of shoes i'm going to buy one that's going to last me for 5 years sure sure um, where do you spend besides Zoom? Where do you spend most of your time? You know, in the business these days, how much time is design, business, funding? Are you still doing all the things? So, one of the really exciting developments in the business was um, in at the end of 2020, we um, hired a president uh-huh. for the first time. We brought in additional leadership. So. Super exciting. Um, her name is Ann Cashel, mm-hmm. and um, she is here. Um, you know, for us, very fortunately, um, after being an executive at um, Tiffany Coach, mm-hmm. Liz Claiborne. She worked at Nike. Um, she um, is from Minneapolis yeah. originally, yeah. and has been um, living in New York, um, traveling back and forth um, quite a bit between um, Minnesota and New York. And COVID, you know, brought her here, obviously. But we, she and I had been talking for a couple of years. And, um, you know, the, our, our you know, board, and we were all sitting around talking about, you know, what is going to be our, you know, big pivot, you know, to, you know, get not just survive COVID, but thrive. And um, we decided that bringing in additional leadership mm-hmm. um, was going to be our move. So so that frees you up a little bit to to do what? What's your favorite part of the business? Well, my favorite part of the business is is product. Yeah. And and shoes. And you know under normal circumstances I would go to Italy 3 or 4 times a year and visit the factories, see check on production, work with our the head of our production team and our technician on the next collection. Mm-hmm. And that is the ultimate best part. Um what's exciting is so Anne is really overseeing the day-to-day of the business and operations and day-to-day decision-making. So I can focus more on product, Um, you know, being that enthusiastic founder, Mm -hmm. going on fantastic podcasts. (laughs) How do you know, was it obvious to you that it was time to to hire for that role? Um, I think, well, we talked about a number of different strategies, right? You know, what do we do? Do Do you make a big you know, business model pivot from, you know, having wholesale and to exclusively online, you know, cut your prices and, you know, go that route? Do you try to license your technology? Mm. Um, you know, or do, do you bring on, you know, or, or one avenue, like I said, was to bring in additional leadership. And we, when we talked through it with our board, 
that seemed like the right thing to do, really bring in someone who truly can professionalize the business. You know, I, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of things are decided, you know, think on your feet mm-hmm. you know, learn as you go. And, you know, Anne has a, you know, just a tremendous amount of, of uh, leadership experience uh, specifically within the fashion industry. Yeah. So I, that's huge. I think that'll help us identify efficiencies and um, again, you're you're catching us mid substance yeah. as as she's joining us. It's been about six months now, and um, and already we're seeing you know th- you know these changes um, come forward. And again, in this new environment, that I, I think are really exciting and taking yeah. us down the right path. Um, and, and in terms of the the funding, when you went out and got your first investor, was it hard? Was it was it hard to you know a lot of women talk about how difficult it is, or they. They have to bring a man with them. You know, we know the numbers. Did did you find it? Did you find the right person right away, or did it take a lot of looking? I did have um, one negative experience with. Um, it was an investment group that, unfortunately, prides itself on investing in female businesses, and I went with my female accountant, um, and we presented. I, I you know I presented the you know, sort of the founder element, founder side of the story. And she presented the numbers and the projections. And one of the women in the audience, she didn't raise her hand. She just said, I would never pay $500 for a pair of shoes. Mm. And so it was like, Did you, were you prepared for that? I don't think we've found our investor <laughs> here. Um, I said, well, thankfully, there are women who will. Mm-hmm. A lot of women yeah. who will. And... um and yeah, we just got, you know, and you just kind of. Like, I knew it wasn't the right fit. Yeah, it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And we kind of, I remember my accountant uh, and I, we walked out of the room at the time and I said, that felt weird. So I did, I would say that was hard because mm-hmm. we had gone into this meeting thinking, oh, women sporting women. Like, yeah. maybe if they could even fake it. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> so, um, so that was hard. But, um, and, uh, and I did a couple of presentations that were, that were not, you know, too too painful, but um, the way that we met our first investors um, was um, actually a, through a, a friend of a friend. Mm. Um, her family um, it, they own uh, the brand, the footwear brand Minnetonka Moccasin. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, another you know, heritage company. Yeah, yeah. heritage uh, family owned, uh, multi generation owned, um, iconic footwear brand based here in, in yep. Minneapolis. Yep. And I said to her, I said, you know. I think my husband and I have sort of brought the business. We bootstrapped it for so long. And I think, you know, we can only do so much. You know, do, do you guys like invest in, in businesses? Can we said, have a few dollars? Yes, please help me. Help me feed my baby. Um, and uh, she said, you know, why don't I introduce you to my dad and um, and my stepmom? Um, and, you know, you guys can talk through it. So uh, Jennifer and David Miller, mm-hmm. um, just I got so lucky when you say was it easy well no nothing is easy but yeah. it was really a um just a very very fortunate introduction um Jennifer who is just a fantastic cheerleader for the brand she um they were getting ready to go on a trip and I you know given them a whole presentation and and she said oh you know I'm getting ready to go on this trip to Los Angeles and I said great do you you know want some shoes she still to this day gives me a hard time because um I didn't give her a discount <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't know why I didn't at the time. I can't. I'm so. I'm actually embarrassed. I really it didn't even dot on me. But she. She goes. You know what? She was like, that was a good business move. There you go. To not give a discount. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jennifer. Yeah. Um. But uh, she. So she went. Uh. She and David went on a trip, again to um 
to uh, Los Angeles and she wore the shoes and she said she walked through a Neiman Marcus shoe salon and multiple salespeople stopped her and asked her about the shoes. Mm. Actually, the pair that you have, your fuchsia the, sandals, the, the Leah. The Leah, yes. She was wearing them and multiple people stopped her. Yeah. And, and she, you know, she said, okay, this is interesting. People are noticing. Yeah. And then I think it went on another um, trip um, a different time. Um, this is when we were in Bloomingdale's and, uh, and David walked into the shoe salon at Bloomingdale's and said, and saw our shoes sitting there. And he said, uh, to the salesperson, can you show me? He's like, my wife is looking for some shoes for an event. Um, I think she wants them to be pretty comfortable, but nice. And and the salesperson walked him over to our shoes. Uh. And so um, so anyway, what what's especially fortunate about um, having the Millers um, um, as investors and on our board is that they have specific and direct footwear industry knowledge right. so they know the challenge of that you know that long production cycle we were talking about mm-hmm. um and there, there's obviously a long payment cycle associated with that they know about inventory mm-hmm. um they know about fit and so all these really specific things that are you know unique to the footwear industry um so so they were our first investors that's amazing that's such a good fit um do you miss practicing medicine at all you have stopped at this point i keep up my license i'm not seeing patients actively yeah. seeing patients but i keep up my license i go to Could all the you- meetings would, I mean, is there any part? Would you ever go back? I don't think. I don't think I could really at this point. I get. I mean, I guess I. I guess I could if I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, since I've kept my license, but. But um, this kind of. I mean, it, it. It seems like you've got that amazing mix of the the innovation and using your medical expertise with this whole creative world as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the driver, right, behind the whole idea. And so, and that, and that is part of why I like keeping up my license too. I, I enjoy going to the meetings and um, and when I go, you know, to a store or when I am um, doing what we call product knowledge sessions, when I go to, well, now you Zoom, you Zoom <laughs> into the Neiman Marcus yeah. um, team meeting and educate them, uh, the, the sales team on the shoes. That's sort of like my... Um, you know, consult with with a patient. I'm you know educating them about the shoes. So, and yeah. it is that educational piece that I really enjoy. Again, talking about what types of shoes to look for depending on your foot type. Um, that I just really enjoy. So, um, so to answer your question, you know, about what I am spending most of my time doing, it is that sort of educational piece uh, and making sure that that message isn't lost. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody's just bombarded right right now. Well, speaking of education, uh, before we let you go, can you just give us like a couple of things be- beyond buying? Marion Park's shoes, what are things we should be doing or, or big no-nos? I, I, I distinctly remember you saying don't go above a three-inch heel. That's the point of no return. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, well, there are several things that you should do. Everybody should do. Number one is not go barefoot. Uh-oh. I do go barefoot at home. I do. Stop that. Oh, <laughs> Why? Uh, so it goes back to, again, that idea of your arch height, yeah. right? So, um, even if you decide to buy a pair of of house shoes, mm-hmm. get one that is that has an arch in it. So maybe it is like a pair of Birkenstocks mm-hmm. or Fit Flops, if you know that brand. Sure. They all have a built-in arch. There are plenty of brands out there now. But buy it, keep it in the house. Don't wear it out. Don't even take the garbage out mm-hmm. of them. Change out of them. Like to, slippers, but with arch support. They're slippers, but yeah, but they're arch support. So okay. buy a pair okay. of Birkenstock socks and make them your slippers. I, okay, I will do that. Yes. All right. So that's number one. Tell and then me. when I do go out, 
Mm-hmm. Keep keep the heel. Is it the heel height? I so, mean, in addition to the support. Well, we've all been there, right? Where you've had like a kitten heel that was excruciating, or mm-hmm. even a ballet flat that was excruciating, and then you've had a you know three inch heel. It's actually been really great, and you've danced all night, and it was no problem. So um, again, it goes back to this idea of, of footwear being very technical and millimeters counting. So if a brand doesn't really think about that volume of that shoe so much or how high up we call the throat line comes, it's going to be uncomfortable. So you know, you really have to you know find the right brand that fits you. But I would say after everybody's been at home and in their slippers or wearing sneakers for a year, you do need to gradually transition yourself mm. it back into heels, right? So maybe start with a, a kitten heel or a block heel and then sort of gradually increase Get back um, there. to that heel height. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we we stick to 85 millimeters. That's three and a thirds of an inch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not based on some big you know, fancy research study. It really is, um, it's an aesthetic choice, but um, I, you know, a four inch heel is is pretty tough. Yeah, it sure is. The least, I don't know, I'm not aware of any research studies that have compared, I don't know, the, you know, velocity, you know, the, you know, pressure and, you know, on four foot of three inches versus four inches versus five inches. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, my insole, the idea is to redistribute that weight. So you're able to put weight in your heel and your arch. So you're not putting all the pressure on on, on your forefoot, mm-hmm. or what we call, the, some people call the ball of the foot, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Well, it's huh. it is amazing what you have achieved and you've you've made it through. We're we're getting vaccinated. We're gonna get back out there. Women are gonna wanna put put some fancy shoes on again. Well, yeah, thankfully we're we're already seeing signs of that. Yeah. I'll say, you know, um, you know, twenty twenty was a really tough year, but we still our digital uh, online business grew over twenty percent. And right now I think we're just yesterday, um, I saw the numbers. I think we've grown over forty percent. This year, so I think you know, um, big conversation also now in in fashion is this idea of pent up mm-hmm. uh, desire to shop and get out. Yes. So um, I think you know we're starting to see that, and yeah, we're hopeful that yeah. it, that it continues. Well, I I hope it does continue, and congratulations on everything you've achieved. It's such a great story. Oh, thank you. We um, we're a work in progress, and. Um, you know, trying to um, trying to set those infinite goals, right? Not right. the you know you gotta have to have the finite goals of, you know, hitting sales and you know getting it to that retailer. But we're trying to also you know hit this idea of you know having this infinite, um, you know, this culture of um, providing great customer service and being a great place to work, and you know, just trying to sustain that while hitting those milestones. So yeah. we're we're a work in progress. As you heard, Marion had so much going for her in building this brand, coming from the medical field, also having that eye for fashion. It gave her clarity of positioning. For more perspective on just what that means and how it could apply to your growing business, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Steve Wolo is a clinical faculty member in the marketing department. Steve, can you help us understand a little bit what you mean by clarity of positioning? Allison, thank you for having me here today. And uh, that's one thing that Marion Park did so well is that her positioning was clear. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times companies really try to make their products be 
appealing to everybody. And then really positioning, good clarity of positioning is the art of sacrifice. Hmm. That means you're not going to be relevant for some people in order to be like really important and and really um, valuable to a a certain segment. So um, what I typically do is I break out positioning into four components. I start out with a target. Who is she marketing to? Uh, Mm -hmm. And obviously, one of the things that she mentioned was the price point. So uh, from, a, from a target standpoint, this is going to be more upscale, more luxury, and that's going to be a no to, to some people, but that's okay because yeah. she's being very, very clear with who her target is. Then uh, you, you think about the frame of reference, and that's like the arena in which your product is competing. So here it's luxury, high fashion, women's shoes, and which then sets up your point of difference. What makes your product different than the others. Mm-hmm. And with her, it, it's all about or her line. It's all about um, comfort, you know, not wanting to, needing to take your shoes off during an event. Right. And also um, making sure that it's not dangerous or harmful, you know, for the, for the foot. And then the last component, which she really hits on well, and, and this is such a natural uh, component for her and very, very believable, is the reason to believe that claim. So the fact that uh, she's you know was a doctor and currently has her license that gives her instant credibility. Plus the fact that these are manufactured and maybe even designed in Italy also adds some um, believability and credibility from a uh, fashion standpoint. Right. She's got the credibility going on both the medical side and the style fashion side as well. That's right. That's right. And you know it's it's amazing how many entrepreneurs actually don't take the time. To, to write these things out and to talk about, you know, who it is you're going to and what's that persona of your audience and, and why are we different and, and why would someone believe that we're different? That's, that's really, really important. And I think whether she's written out or not, I think she's got that in her, in her mind and, and strategically exactly who she is. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a great exercise for anyone thinking about starting a brand or launching a product. Yes, absolutely. Well, Steve Wollo, thank you so much for your perspective and for the little homework for our listeners today. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. You're listening to By All Means. And if you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll find more episodes and lots of great lessons and takeaways from our faculty partners. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.